We join our hearts together with one voice and we declare the praise and the goodness of God. Today, with one voice, we join our hearts together to express gratitude to God for all that God has done through this congregation over the last 65 years. Today, with one voice, we lift our hearts and our voices to the heavens and we beseech God. You know, beseech is a word we we don't use much anymore. It's an old word, uh, but it's a really good word. It means to ask someone for something fervently, to implore Uh, to entreat. It's an old word, but good one. So we beseech God Almighty to use us in the present and the future for his glory and for the blessing of our city and for the vibrancy of our congregation. Now, before we take a look at our text this morning, I'd like to just sort of put in the mix two images for us. One is from pop culture and the other is from uh, the Bible. A few years ago, a video made the rounds on social media. It was a mashup of legendary actors and dancers like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and Gene Kelly dancing these incredible dances. Some of you maybe maybe saw them live, but they were dancing to uh, a, a remake, if you will, a remix of Bruno Mars' Uptown Funk. But a new tune was given to classic dance moves. The dance didn't change, did it? Just the rhythms. That YouTube has over 50 million views, just that one alone. And so there are millions of people in in generations and generations who would have never seen the incredible acting and dancing of those legends that we have now seen. They would not have seen the dance without the new tune. Today we step off into a new journey as a congregation and we embrace a new tune, but the same beautiful dance of sharing the gospel in our community and uh, and beyond. Uh, For those of you who are guests, let me just provide just a little bit of, of backstory. A few months ago on November the 3rd, our congregation made two really big decisions. One decision was to take all of our unused space that we have here and space that we can share and repurpose our facility as a community center, as a hub for our community. This is a vision that that captured uh, Gisla Sorley's heart uh, a few years ago that became contagious and he shared it with anybody who would hear and, and we started to share it. And I asked Gisla if he'd come and just share for a few moments uh, what this vision looks like for the life of our church, the type of ministry and mission impact it can have. Gisla, thank you. Yeah. So I'm part of the servant leadership team here in the church, and uh, so I'm going to share a little bit about the vision that we have for uh, managing these two buildings that we, we manage on God's behalf. And uh, if we calculate sort of the, the square foot used per hour throughout the week, it's, pro- it's pretty low. There's a lot of empty space. And we want to change that. We will really make this uh, a lively place uh, all throughout the week. And uh, some of you know, we, uh, there's a ministry called Together We Bake, their use of space, which is fantastic. They do amazing things uh, with women. And we wouldn't do more of that. Uh, we have sort of a vision that, uh, you know, the torpedo factory down by the river, they're a hub for the arts community in, uh, in Old Town. And we would kind of want to be a community hub for the kingdom community in Old Town, and we want to be available to ministries, businesses, potential schools, whoever, whoever wants to, to care about what Jesus loves, we want to invite and potentially have this, this space bustling with creativity, sharing of resources, praying together, 
and just you know really make this space uh, available. So that's our uh, our vision going forward. So if you guys know of people or ministries or businesses or anybody that could utilize this space, you can let us know and we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, thank you, Gisela. Yeah. Thank you. I know God is going to bless and redeem uh, this effort. The second big decision we made was to change our name from Downtown Baptist Church to Old Town Community Church. Don't get me wrong. We'll stay true to our Baptist theology, and we will remain a member in good standing of our denomination, the Baptist General Association of Virginia and the North Star Network. Yet we believe this name also reflects our diversity as a people from multiple denominational backgrounds. And it reflects our value of partnering with other organizations that aren't necessarily Baptist, like Casa Chiralagua and Missio Alliance and others. New name, same mission. New tune, same beautiful dance of partnering with God, with our denomination, and with other mission partners to share the love of Jesus in both word and deed, right here in Old Town, our community, and beyond. And in faith, I believe, in faith, I believe that there are people who will come to embrace the gospel of Jesus because of these two big decisions. There will be people who come to embrace the gospel of Jesus who might not ever have done so had we not decided to dance, the same dance, to a new tune. The second image I would like to offer is the great story in the gospel of the little boy with his five loaves and two fish. You know how it goes. Jesus had thousands to feed and there was no food around. And so this little boy offered all he had. And Jesus took this. He took the five loaves and two fishes. He blessed it. He broke it. And he shared it with those in need. God worked in a powerful way to multiply all that the little boy had. And John's gospel tells us that uh, there was so much food left over that 12 baskets were filled with all the leftovers. That's how much God worked. We come to this moment as a congregation in a sense like the little boy. We're offering up ourselves to God. We're offering that which is meaningful to us, our tradition, our facility. And we say to God, take it and use it as you will. And I'm confident that God will do so in supernatural ways. Two images, offering all of who we are to God and dancing the dance of grace with a new tune. I encourage you to hold those in your heart and mind, not only as we continue through uh, this journey today, but all throughout uh, the year and beyond as we continue this season of transition. So here's my prayer. For the people of God gathered as Old Town Community Church for the very first time, it's the theme verse that you heard Brian pray in our morning prayer. It's from St. Paul's prayer for the, for the Ephesians. It reads like this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, St. Paul here, his purpose was he wanted the church in Ephesus to be enlightened so that they may realize all of who they are and all of what they have in Christ Jesus. And what he's getting at is he's getting at this idea of our desires. And he's starting with the end in mind that if you know the blessings, 
and the benefits of what it means to be the people of God. If you know this and you understand this, then you're going to desire God even more. And that will just become this incredible cycle. The more you desire God, the more you're blessed. The more you're blessed, the more you desire God. And then he outlines three benefits that are also for us today. The first one is this. It is sacred significance. Sacred significance. He writes, I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The world of Jesus and the world of Paul was not necessarily a world where hope is, was plentiful. It's not Klein Snodgrass writes, fate, determinism, and despair dominated the ancient world. For many, life was difficult and it was oppressive. You know, one could argue that hope is not very plentiful in our world today, or it is either superficial or fleeting. For many, the problems of the world seem absolutely overwhelming and so numerous that they give up trying to solve them. Rampant poverty, injustice, endless violence and wars. And it happens on the, the individual level as well. Health challenges and the, re, the, the reality of death begin to take a toll on hope. Because hope is always forward-leaning and tilting toward the future. But a God-centered, Christ-shaped life changes all of that. God's work in Christ addresses this idea of hopelessness. It addresses the problem of evil in this world. And it addresses the reality of death. Snodgrass continues to write, God has built a bridge from no hope to hope in this creation of life in the midst of death. The Christian faith tells us that we were made for eternity. God gives us hope here and now, and God gives us hope on the other side of eternity. I guess we would call that the there and then. God is a God of hope. Now, notice Paul turns this just a little bit, though. He says the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling. He says this to the Ephesians, and it applies to us today. God has given the church a sacred significance. He has called and chosen the church and the people of the church to be his very own. He has called and chosen you to be a vessel of his goodness and grace in the world. He has called you to bring heaven to earth. He has called the church to show the world what it means to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And as the church in the world today, we have the high and holy purpose in the midst of the mundane, everyday life to bring his hope to the world. This gives us a reason to live. It gives us a reason to tell Alexa to get us out of the bed in the morning, if that's how you get out of the bed in the morning. It is sacred significance, and only God can give it. Now imagine what that means for us as a church. God will use us to bring hope to our friends and neighbors. God will use us to feed hungry bellies and hungry souls. He will use us to help people find their sacred significance in Jesus. And I believe one of the greatest gifts we can give to one another, friend to friend, spouse to spouse, parent to child, is helping people find their sacred significance in Christ. It will give them hope that will pull them through the difficult times and the valleys of life. This plaque right here is 
a plaque that is usually hanging in our other building, but it's a plaque that has, it's a heavy one too, it's a plaque that has all of uh, the names of our charter members on it. Uh, for those of you who may be uh, our guest, um, there has been a church gathered on this site since 1803 approximately. Uh, from 1803 to 1954, the First Baptist Church of Alexandria uh, worshipped on this site and for the most part in this building. And then in uh, 1953, they, in the 54 time frame, they moved two miles west, uh, up the hill, so to speak, uh, on King Street. And a group of about 100 people uh, chartered Downtown Baptist Church in 1954. And we've been ministering on this site uh, ever since. But there's some incredible names on here. Uh, some of you may know some of them. Miss, Mrs. Annie Akers, Mrs. Margaret Riker. Uh, we have Mr. Robert Kane. We have uh, Mr. Julius West. Just some incredible names on here. Uh, our charter members who, who said, you know, um, God bless you, uh, First Baptist Alexandria, as you move up the hill, but we feel called to stay in Old Town and minister here in the center of the city. Now, uh, Brian, will you help me with this? This is kind of heavy here. Um, I am hoping we have one stained glass window you can go ahead and take it if you want, that doesn't have a name on it. It's right over there. Now, that plaque won't fit on that stained glass window, and the city probably wouldn't let us do it anyway. Uh, but for now, I just want it to be over there uh, because that is the one window in this entire building that doesn't have a name. The rest of the names are people who are very important to the history of First Baptist Alexandria. Uh, now, for the time being, until we find a better place, um, I'd like that plaque to reside there in that empty stained glass so that we can honor the forebears of downtown Baptist Church in 1954 who started this congregation. They joined their hearts, minds, energies, and treasure together to see that the gospel would continue in the heart of this city. I wonder if they realized then the sacred significance they would have. I wonder if they would realize that since 1954, hundreds if not a few thousand people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder if they realize since 1954 that people have been healed from addiction through this ministry and the use of this facility. I wonder if they realize since 1954, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been given to missions and to support missionary causes around the world. Since 1954, marriages were celebrated, marriages were healed, comfort were, was given to the grieving, help and hope to those who were struggling. Since 1954, hundreds of families connected to the military and the government have found a place to call home while living away from home. We have become a table at which people could simply find a place to be what God intended them to be. That is sacred significance. That is the hope of the calling to be the church of Jesus Christ as we step boldly into the new future that God has prepared for us as Old Town Community Church may we do so knowing that he will give us sacred significance and this gives us hope and my prayer 65 years from now when people read out our names in 2085 they will list the ways that God worked 
Paul also prayed that the Ephesians, that they would grab the sense of sacred significance, but also this idea of divine delight. He continues with a really curious phrase in verse 18. It goes, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And then the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What does this mean? Typically, I don't know about you, but when you hear the word inheritance, you think about something somebody received, or usually when we use it, it's something we talk about that we get. But this inheritance is God's inheritance. And this is about God's, what God receives, and that is about God's glory. Again, from the commentary, Paul points to the tremendous glory that is present when God inherits the people he has set apart for himself. The enjoyment of God really is an enjoyment of him will take place when God inherits his own people. His glory will be made manifest. The Greek word for glory in the New Testament is doxa, from which we get our word doxology. It essentially means to enhance the reputation, to make larger by praise and exaltation. Now, to be sure, we cannot make God bigger. That's theologically impossible. But we can make the reputation of God bigger in our world by the way we live. And we can live in such a way that reflects honor and praise and glory onto him. And his reputation just gets bigger. The image this brings to mind for me is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit at the head of the banquet table of salvation gathered with all of his children laughing and feasting and just enjoying being together. Those of you who are parents and grandparents you kind of know what it's like to, to sit around the table with your children and your grandchildren and just look at them with delight. This is your inheritance. We as God's people should have this mindset that God delights in us, that we are God's treasures. We are God's masterpiece. We are the divine aim of all he has set out to do in the world. Think about that. You know, I think the average person has in mind this idea that God is just waiting, if they believe in God, that God is just waiting to zap them when they do something wrong or that God does not really care for them. But the story of God is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God delights in his creation. And when the world sees God's people delighting in him, when they see this reconciled relationship being lived out every day, God's reputation is made bigger. I have a friend of mine who uh, lived in Richmond about my age, and he came to faith, uh, was a new Christian when I met him about 15 years ago, and he would always say, uh, you know, we just want to make God smile. And uh, I, I, when I heard him say that, I thought, you know, that is so quaint, and that's nice, it's kind of simple, it's kind of cute. And there was just a little bit of me that said, you know, over time, I'd love to to have coffee with him, which we did quite a bit. And, and, and over time, I thought, you know, I'd love to just help him theologically grow a little bit deeper, maybe even grab a little bit of a deeper theological vocabulary. And, you know, this idea, let's just make God smile. You know, it's good, but let's go deeper. The more I think about it, I think he nailed it. 
I actually think he nailed it. At the end of the day, in everything we do, we want God to be happy with us. We want God to be honored and Jesus to be exalted and people to be blessed. When this happens, God smiles. His divine delight is over us as his people. I pray that as the people of God, known as Old Town Community Church, that we would realize we are God's people. We are his inheritance. And he takes so much delight in him, in us, as we take delight in him. Let it be said that in all we do, that we make God smile. So we have sacred significance. We have this idea of divine delight over us. And then the third is pervasive power. Again, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. For those of us who believe, the thought continues on in this chapter to describe the resurrection power, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul prayed that the church would realize how much power she has available to her. Now, we need to understand this power. This is not power just to do any old thing. This is not worldly power as the world marks power. It's not political power that we understand power in our culture. It's not power over others. It is not Wall Street power. God does not use U.S. politics or Wall Street to do his bidding or certainly doesn't need it to do his bidding. It is power under it is the power to do God's work in the world in service and submission to him. It is the power for the church to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. It is the power to bring life where there is death. It is the power to promote human flourishing rather than human destruction. It's the power to submit and serve. It is the power to be meek and the power to be humble. By the way, meek doesn't mean weak. If those of you who are in the parenthood class, they've heard me say that for the last three weeks. It means strength under control. So meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means strength under control. In my humble opinion, part of what is wrong with the evangelical church in the world today is that the church is trying to get power politically. This never works for the church in the long run. When the church tries to gain the power of the state, the church always loses and her witness is often compromised for generation to generation to generation. The name on that stained glass window right over there, Jeremiah Moore, was the first minister of the First Baptist Church of Alexandria. And he stood against the church trying to get power from the state. And he stood up to the state for trying to hold power over the church. Our power doesn't need to be resurrection or political power. It doesn't need to be Wall Street power. Our power is resurrection power. It is the power to bring healing. It is the power to lift up the marginalized. It is the power and confidence to preach the gospel with authority, even when the culture that we 
preach in rejects absolute truth. It is the power to stand for life from the womb to the tomb in a culture that glorifies death. It's the power to say no to political leaders who oppress and marginalize others. It is the power to pursue reconciliation between black, brown, and white because all are precious in his sight. It is the power to say there is a better way than a life of materialism and greed. It's the power to turn the other cheek when we're offended and to pray for those who persecute us. It's the power to lay our lives down for a greater cause. It's the power to say no to the temptations of the flesh that reach up and grab us like pride and envy and greed and jealousy and lust and rage. That is life-giving resurrection power. And it's the church. That's the power we have in the world today. And it's the power that God has given to the church. And as your pastor, I pray for this kind of power as we boldly move into the future. I want to close by introducing you to our new logo. Our staff team worked with a team of designers who are really good. And they love Jesus and they love the church of Jesus and Man, I'll be honest with you, from the beginning we started, I didn't know what we were doing. They were showing us pictures of vans and sneakers and, and all this kind of stuff and telling us, asking us which one we like. And I was like, how in the world we get anywhere out of this? And then we shared with them that our community is known for a few things. That our community is known for the proximity to D.C. and the Pentagon and the center of, of national identity. Our city is known for its history. And our city is known as a port city. Historically, the river brought people and goods and services in and out of our town. It's been a bit transient from the very beginning, the very beginning that the town was settled, quote-unquote, is a transient place. George Washington didn't even stay here all the time. You know, he went down the street but had a townhouse here. He was on TDY, I guess we'd say. That was, I thought, that was clever. That's not in my notes. People all over the country and the world come here for a little while. You know, I, we gathered, Jody and I gathered with some uh, of our active duty military personnel yesterday and went around the table and, and most of them have been in the service about 14 to 15, 16, 18 years, one of them. I see him, he's, there he is. And they have moved so much that I, I don't know why they just don't buy a moving van. It just, it's incredible. That's our town. It's always been our town. That's a cool part of this town. You know, our river is even the flight pattern for people coming in and out of the city. Heading in, heading out. So you see, the logo on the wavy lines represent the river. It represents this idea of a port city. And standing above this moving river, standing above the transient city, is the cross of Jesus. Not a church building, not a steeple, not a statue of a famous person. The empty cross of Jesus. So that we would know he went there to die for us, but that we would know he's not still hanging on that cross, is he? By the resurrection power of God, that cross is empty. Since 1803 with our legacy church, First Baptist Alexandria, and then 1954, our forebearers, since that time, we have been holding high the cross of Jesus, bearing witness to him with people all over the world. 
Dallas Old Town Community Church, a church in the heart of this port city, may we pick up the torch from our forebears. May we stand on their shoulders, on their shoulders, because we couldn't be here without them, and lift high the cross of Jesus. It is our sacred significance. We will experience the divine delight of God, and he will give us pervasive power to do that which he has called us to do. Amen.